respond because some of you are presuming nine o'clock in the morning is much too early for that. No, what you see was predicted long ago by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. and Your old men will dream dreams in those days. I will pour out my spirit even on my servants, men and women alike. And they will prophesy. And I will cause wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and clouds of smoke. The sun will become dark and the moon will turn blood red before that great and glorious day of the Lord arrives. But everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. We're going to sing a song. We're going to sing Build Your Kingdom Here. And after that, we're going to have a time of, of church prayer. Uh, the topic this week, the second week of the month, is local outreach. We're going to pray for God to build His church. He started it at Pentecost when He sent His Spirit. Let's stand, let's sing, and, and ask God to do that. Next one, Wayne.
stay standing. Let's pray right now. Uh, corporate prayer, if you want to pray for God to move in our region, uh, in our church, in our suburbs, let's do so right now. Thank you again, our Father, for the Super Club that meets on a Wednesday and for the children that stay behind after school to enjoy that time and to learn from that time. And, oh Lord, we pray that you would help them absorb uh, wonderful truths about you, about your name, about your life, about your activities uh, that were noted on the earth in those days. We thank you, our Father, that... Uh, that some of the things that they may pass on when they go home may bear fruit in due time. Oh Lord, we commend this ministry unto you and those children and their homes. In Jesus' name. Amen. Father, darkness seems strong. It seems strong in us and around us. But your kingdom is stronger. Amen. Lord, as we have listened this morning, and as we have read from the book of Second King, open our eyes to see your strength, to see your majesty and power. As you stand around us, arrayed in fire, surely the darkness must fear. Build your kingdom here. You started, Father. You sent your Son who announced the kingdom and you sent your Spirit to enable us to live as citizens of that kingdom which one day will return with its King and will come with its King. Build your kingdom here, I pray. Let the darkness fear. 
Drive it out, Lord, from within us and from around us as we speak your truth. As we trust in your name, show your mighty hand. Heal our streets and our land. Thank you that you have promised that where your spirit goes, there you do amazing things. Do them in our midst, we pray. May the fire of your presence be visible to us, we ask. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Unless you're a kid. In which case, go away. Children, that means you. Are there any children in the church? Five, four, three, two, one. Go out. Have some fun. (laughs) Mr. McGillivray. Thank you. One I prepared earlier over here. That's the one. Despite his wearing purple, we have asked Mr. McGillivray to read. You are wearing purple, yes. To read for us our reading for Pentecost. Ezekiel chapter 37. The Lord took hold of me, and I was carried away by the Spirit of the Lord to a valley filled with bones. He led me all around among the bones. Then I'll 
probably not the, the most obvious passage to choose for Pentecost, is it? But I want to suggest this morning that there, there are some really interesting links. My wife's shaking her head at me as I move the, the lectern forward. Now she's looking all embarrassed because I pointed that out. And now I'm going to suffer when I get home. No, I'm not. She's a good wife. A wonderful wife. Right, that's my wife. <laughs> Ezekiel is just an amazing book. Um, we did start a series in it uh, two years ago, 2012, and we will come back to it probably in 2015. But we've jumped ahead to probably the most famous chapter in the book of Ezekiel. Um, this is the reason why, as we've been singing songs and on your bulletin cover, there's a picture of dead bones. You might have been thinking, what on earth, what a horrible picture to sing songs of praise against. But I want to suggest that this is actually a, a, a marvelous picture um, in terms of what Ezekiel shows us. Um, a bit of context for us, Ezekiel is a prophet to those in exile. Uh, exile, uh, the Israelites rejected God, they have been cast out of the land, they are living in Babylon. They've probably been there about 10 years um, at this time, maybe, maybe longer, maybe a little bit less. Um, Ezekiel has been speaking about how the, they are going to endure the suffering, but how also there will be um, hope for the people of Israel. He's, he's spoken already in the book about the promise of new leadership, restored land, rebuilt cities. But, but when the people of Israel, sitting in exile, looked at their situation. They saw themselves as a nation that was shattered and unable to recover. Which was the normal thing. If your land was exiled like that, you wouldn't recover. Now, for those of you that know your, your Bible history, the land of Israel, the, the 12 tribes had separated into two kingdoms. The first kingdom had gone into exile a long time before and it never recovered. It never recovered. It never returned the way that, that the, um, the southern kingdom, the kingdom of Judah, returned. And the kingdom of Judah, sitting in exile, looked at themselves and said, this is hopeless. Everything we know is gone. We've seen it with our kin in the north. We shall never return. They say it actually um, there in verse 11. They say, these bones represent the people of Israel. They are saying, we have become old, dry bones. All hope is gone. Our nation is finished. This was a people who had no reason, they thought, to expect a national resurrection, a return to nationhood for Israel. Ezekiel is the prophet of God. He's, he's one of those that just gets yoinked up and lifted around by God. He, he preaches to the people. He's caught up in the Spirit. Um, he has some horrible graphic messages. Um, one, of my, one of my favorite bits is where God tells him to cook food over his own 
dung, and God very graciously then allows him to cook his food over animal dung instead. That's the sort of prophet Ezekiel was. Here he is. The Lord, the Lord's hand is upon him here in chapter 37. Um, that's kind of code for a, a moment when, when Ezekiel experiences the extraordinary presence of God. It's similar to what we read when he is first confronted with God at the start of his career as a prophet. Ezekiel, by the way, is a priest as well. But he's a priest in exile away from the temple where priests serve. He's taken in this instance, in this vision, he is taken to a valley littered with bones. And not bones still joined nicely in a skeleton. These bones are disjointed and cast across the valley. The bones, we're told in verse 2, are very dry. And Ezekiel, this priest who has not allowed any contact with the dead, is led back and forth through this valley. This is a scene of total death. Ezekiel goes back and forth, maybe, so that there can be absolutely no doubt that there is even a flicker of life in the midst of these bones. Everything is dead. There can be no life. And, and we start here with this, this vision God is showing, yes, these people, this nation, these people who were my people, who are my people, are now in a situation and they are well and truly beyond recovery as a nation. They are as dead as dead can be. Which makes God's question in verse 3 seem well, kind of redundant. God says to Ezekiel, asks him, Son of man, can these bones become living people again? I mean, yes, there are stories in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, of course, where, where Jesus does it. But there are stories, plenty, where God revives a dead person. But I think the longest somebody was dead was Lazarus, who'd been in the tomb for what, five days? Three days, four days, a long time. Here he is. Most of the people that God revives in real life, well, they're not incredibly decomposed. But how do you bring back to life dry, sun-bleached bones? The question seems redundant, but as we read in Matthew, with God all things are possible, says Jesus. Ezekiel knows that God can do whatever he wants. And so God says to him, Ezekiel, son of man, can these bones live again? Ezekiel doesn't say, of course not. Ezekiel doesn't say, of course. Doesn't presume that God will make them live again. Ezekiel turns and he says, O sovereign Lord, you alone know. 
You alone know. And God says to him, right, Ezekiel, you're going to do some preaching, brother. You're going to preach to these bones. And Ezekiel obeys God's command and he prophesies to the bones. Look at what he, he, he has to say. He has to say to the dry bones, this is what the sovereign Lord says, I'm going to put breath into you and make you live again. I will put flesh and muscle on you and cover you with skin. I will put the breath into you and you will come to life and then you will know that I am the Lord. And Ezekiel stands up, and I know it's a vision, but he must have felt a bit like a fool speaking to bones that don't even have ears, unless they are ear bones, there are probably ear bones in there, but they don't have the tympanic membrane or whatever it is that actually works, and he speaks to them. He says, right, you bones! God says you're going to come back to life. Now, maybe I'm just a horrible person, but I would have gone, oh, God says I must do it. Okay, bones, come back to life now. And then turn away as, okay, I've done it, God. Bones. But you know what happens? Ezekiel speaks to these bones. He preaches to these bones. And an amazing thing happens. Even while he, while he speaks, he sees God's power being unleashed because these bones that are separated, th- these aren't just bodies that have fallen and, and, and decomposed and the bones spread out. These are, the, the look here is, is of a battlefield with dismembered bodies everywhere. And the bones are totally disjointed. And as he, as, as he stands there in his vision, he hears this rattling and a rumbling and the bones start joining together. You know that old song, Dem bones, dem bones, dem dry bones. Let's not sing that. The bones come together and, and they form into the skeleton shapes and the, the eardrum bones go back where they belong. And then there comes muscle and skin, and flesh, and a bit of fat. And, and, and it's an amazing miracle. Because instead of a valley of dry bones, we have a valley of corpses. Isn't that amazing? It's still kind of it's a valley of corpses. It's, in, it's pretty incredible, but it's still death. They seem to be human but they lack the spark of life. They still had no breath. They still had no life. I, I think for Ezekiel in this vision, this, this first prophecy that he had to speak to the bones must have seemed a lot like his day job as a prophet. Because what did he do all the day? He spoke to lifeless people asking them to hear the word of God. He's told here to preach to the dead, to those without even ears to hear. And, and he does. But his job as a prophet was to speak to a people who were in rebellion against God, who did not want to hear from God. Ezekiel spoke to those who were as good as dead Because if you reject God, who is life, you are in the realm of death. And it's to them that Ezekiel speaks all the time. And and you know, an amazing thing happens in this vision, in that as he preaches to them, these bones 
form into corpses. An amazing miracle happens. And, and something of, of the goodness and power and strength of God is evident. But, but they are still dead. And I'm sure it must have been that way for Ezekiel as well. As he was preaching all the time. He would preach and people would get a glimmer of, of what God was saying. But it would never actually spark into a fire in their life. Then we read in verse 7 to 9, God says to Ezekiel, Right, Ezekiel, you are to prophesy again, but this time not to the bones or the corpses. Now this time you are to prophesy to the wind. And the impossible occurs, and these corpses come back to life. And they stand as a great army. Now when we read the Old Testament, and in fact the New Testament as well, there's, when we're dealing with the Spirit of God, there are two words that we need to know. If you were on camp, you probably know this. Um, in the Old Testament, the word for the Spirit is ruah. Can I hear that? Ruah. Ruah. I've ruined it for you. Ruah. Now, in the New Testament, in the Greek, the word is pneuma, as in pneumatic. Um, because the word means Spirit. But it also means wind. And it also means breath. And so throughout this passage that we've read, there's a bit of a play of words happening because the same word is used different times to mean different things. So in, the, in verse 1, it is the spirit, the ruah, that conveys Ezekiel into this vision. And then in verse 5, we're, we're told, uh, what are we told, Ezekiel 37 Verse 5, this is what the Severin Lord says, look, I'm going to put breath into you and make you live again. I'm going to put ruah into you and make you live. And then in verse 9, Ezekiel is told, Ezekiel, prophesy to the wind. Prophesy to what? To the ruah. What is Ezekiel doing? Well, well, let's have a look. It's the same spirit in all three of these instances that moves Ezekiel to speak for God which is showing him this vision. He's in the Spirit as he sees this vision. It's, it's the same Spirit who, who puts breath into the dead bones, and it is the same Spirit who is the wind that is present throughout the world and that comes and brings new life to the bones. If you go back in Ezekiel, there are, there are two times when Ezekiel himself is confronted with the awesome majesty of who God is. And each time, Ezekiel falls to the ground. Um, you can have a look. It's chapter 1 and, and chapter 3. And each time the Spirit enters him again, as he's on the ground, the Spirit comes into him and lifts him up and stands him on his feet again. Just like the Spirit comes in to these corpses and raises them, to their feet. In a sense, what has happened to Ezekiel as the prophet of God happens to these dry bones become corpses. The first prophecy that Ezekiel gave was to the bones, and, and in, in a sense, I want to say that that was preaching or sharing the gospel. That was his day job, that was his occupation as a God-man, as a man of God. 
but his second prophecy to the wind. If the wind is the ruah, is the spirit, God said to Ezekiel, Ezekiel, prophesy or speak to my spirit. Call on my spirit to come. I think the second prophecy of Ezekiel is like praying. Calling on God to effect the miracle, not just of forming bodies, but of bringing life. Breathing in the breath of life. And, and the effect of the Spirit's presence is dynamic because there is life. That is the result of the Spirit coming. For the people of Israel, it seemed hopeless, but God was determined to save His people, and He alone could tear them. In, in the metaphor of the second half of our reading, he, he, could, he alone could tear them from their graves and give them life through His Spirit as a nation. Good story, isn't it? There's a problem. There's a solution. The problem, Israel thought they were dead. The solution, God says, I will make you alive by my spirit and by the preaching of my word. Good story? Amen? Amen. Okay. I was going to say thank you, Nicholas, but I am leading, aren't I? <laughs> so we leave it there. Let's not. Because we've looked at the problem and the solution in our story, in the vision of Ezekiel, but what about the problem and the solution in this world right here today? You see, we too have the same problem in that our world is full of people who are as good as dead. Our context is not the same, it's not identical. We are not the nation of God in exile uh, because of God's wrath against us. That, that is not the same, but Israel was in exile because they had rebelled against God. They, they probably felt very far away from Him. And we are told in the New Testament that this world is full of rebels, people who have done exactly the same thing, who have said, God, we will live our own life. We might pay you lip service, maybe, but count yourself lucky if we do because we'll just, we'll just live our own lives. And we're told that, that this deserves nothing but wrath from God for the wages of sin is death. Spiritually, that's what we all deserve. Ephesians 2 verse 12 says that, that you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air. By our very nature, we and many of those around us were cut off from the life-giving presence of God. Now, a lot of people don't realize that maybe all the time. Maybe it's just a niggle which can be suppressed. Maybe people feel on top of the world as if life couldn't be better. Maybe, maybe they feel this world is a desperate, senseless place. Maybe they feel, I know there's a God there. I know He wants to be my friend, but I just don't trust Him enough.
The Bible says all those who live in rebellion against God in transgressions and sins, as we've just heard, are as good as dead because when Jesus returns, only those who are his will be with him forever. Can such dead people live? That's the question that God asked Ezekiel. Son of man, can these dry bones live? Question's not if God can raise dead people to life, if God can save those who are in rebellion against Him. The question is will He? Oh God, you alone know. That's the problem, but the solution is exactly the same as it was back then. God can make the dead come to life by his own gracious decision. And when Ezekiel is about the restoration of the exiles from Babylon, but the principles still apply to us today. Those who are apart from God are effectively dead. And if you are dead, you can no more change from being, alive, from being dead to be alive than a bone can decide one day I'm going to have a body and I'm going to get up and walk around and say all sorts of ridiculous things. The natural man is dead in sin, cannot respond to the gospel, cannot exercise faith. The only thing that is needed, if you read Ephesians chapter 2, is the grace of God. And notice... Again, how life came in this vision of Ezekiel. Three things happen. Ezekiel is told to prophesy, to preach to those who are dead. And he does. And it's like they're almost there. Almost. Maybe even a rational, yeah, you're right, Ezekiel. Ezekiel then is to call on the wind to come and breathe into the slain, to the corpses. He is to pray. And the Holy Spirit powerfully works. Those three things. Now consider what we read earlier in Acts chapter 2 at Pentecost. Just before we, we find that the disciples had been praying together. That's what they were doing in the upper room. They were filled by the Spirit. They were driven by the Spirit to act. Ezekiel had been filled by the Spirit and brought to this place. What did Ezekiel do? He preached. What did the Spirit lead the disciples to do? They stood up and they preached. And as they preached, everyone who heard them became Christians. No, some of them said, these men are drunk. Preaching itself does not guarantee conversion. Wouldn't it be wonderful if it did? But it doesn't. But God did convict the hearts of those, some of those who heard, and 3,000 became Christians, and the Spirit moved and worked powerfully. 
Colossians 2, 3 says that when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. The message of the Bible is that in Christ there is a life for the spiritually dead. And we know this, that Jesus took on himself our death. We know that sin has to be paid for. We know that, the, that, that Jesus was, to bring it back into Ezekiel's uh, vision, Jesus was laid among the dry bones of the valley for our sake, for my sake and your sake. We know if we read Romans chapter 6 that when we are baptized, when we associate ourselves with him, we are united with him in that death. But we also know, we also know that just like in this vision, God is not content to let the bones stay dry. We also know that Jesus was raised to life by the power of God. And we know that we are raised to life with Christ. We are alive in Christ. We are living, breathing, spirit-infused children of God. It's an objective fact, even if sometimes we don't feel it objectively, but it is an objective fact. If we have died with Christ, we will certainly live with Him. The Spirit of God, says Paul in Romans 8 verse 11, the Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Christ from the dead, He will give life to your mortal bodies by the same Spirit living within you. I mean, yes, we still live awaiting this final redemption of our bodies. And we are still experiencing a world of brokenness and pain and tragedy. But in the midst of it, we are called to wait in expectant hope of what God is going to do. Have I just totally moved to a different sermon? Well, no. In, in John chapter 20, verse 22, the risen, resurrected Jesus comes. This is, this is John's version almost of Pentecost. Jesus comes and he breathes on the disciples in anticipation of Pentecost 50 days later and he says to them, receive the Holy Spirit. See, Jesus there, in a sense, stands as a combination of well, he stands as God, man, the Son of Man, the true Son of Man, who has spent three years preaching to these people and then calls on the breath of God to enter them and give them life. So why, why did I preach on Ezekiel 37, on Pentecost? What is the link between this message and the Holy Spirit coming? Anyone got an idea? Tell us again. For, for the congregation, go. The dead, become alive. the dead become alive. Now, the context is different. One's talking about a nation, but, but the principles match up. But, but it's more than just the dead come alive. It is God by His Spirit that brings those who are dead under judgment to new life. And it is those who are filled with the Spirit of God 
that God uses as instruments to restore dry bones. Ezekiel, under God's command, was to preach and pray as he was led by the Spirit. Now we're told that if we belong to Christ, then the Spirit of Christ lives in us. What is our task in this world which has the same problem of rebellion against God? Our job is to preach. It doesn't just mean me standing up the front. It means sharing Jesus. And people, by preaching alone, can come really close to becoming Christians. I can't make a Christian. I can tell them. But I can tell them and pray. And we can see bones become skeletons, become corpses, become living Christians, praising God. Isn't that amazing? One day we will all stand and sing. Let's stand and sing now. As the group comes up, I'm going to pray. We'll do the offering afterwards. You can do it during the song if you want. Father, thank you that the dead do come alive by your grace. Thank you for saving us. Father, help us to be bold in preaching to those who we think would never, ever want to be Christians. But Lord, even as we preach, help us to pray. Even as we share you with our friends and family, help us to pray because we cannot make the dead come to life. We are just humans. But your Spirit can and has in us and will in others. Thank you for sending your spirit into this world. Lord, at Pentecost, you gave him into your church, and all of us now have the spirit of Christ living in us if we believe in Jesus. Oh, Spirit, inspire our speaking and empower our words as you bring life. Amen. Let's stand, let's sing, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, early in the morning our song shall rise to thee. You are merciful and mighty.